So hello and welcome back to the I Heart Anxiety podcast. This is episode six, I believe, of the podcast. Pretty sweet. Um, yeah, so the I Heart Anxiety podcast, if you guys haven't already heard, it's a podcast dedicated to learning to love the seemingly unlovable. So it's a podcast dedicated to learning whatever, learning to love whatever it is that's in our way, whatever it is that seems to be keeping us stuck in suffering or in a crappy life or in unhappiness um, or in a victim mentality, whatever those things are, finding ways to reframe them and see them in actually a beneficial light, see, see them in a light that actually allows us to skyrocket our potential, that allows us to enlighten, that allows us to wake up, elevate our consciousness and become happier, more peaceful, more joyful, and more harmonious with each other. So this is a brainless podcast. So what that means is that, excuse me, sorry, I received a phone call, <laughs> that Brainlids is an organization that created, um, dedicated to creating educational experiences to wake up the world and elevate consciousness. So through podcasts and educational experiences, workshops, content, things like that, it's anything and everything, different types of forms to really um, empower people, to take responsibility for what it is that they're going through and take responsibility for changing whatever it is that they seem to not like. So I'm really excited for this episode. I'm going to try and clarify some things that I've spoken about, try and organize some of the things that I've spoken about, and then give a little bit of new information. Um, but before I do that, I want to start... This thing that I do is kind of silly, but just to give you guys little snippets into my life sometimes. Um, well, I do that quite often, but I mean that aren't related to mental health. <laughs> Start something called Confession Corner, where at the beginning of each episode I say something ridiculous that I do, or funny, or that I perceive to be funny, so you guys can laugh alongside me. So this week for the coaches, excuse me, for the Confession Corner, I realized that before I go to dinner parties, like if I get invited to a dinner party or something, especially one in which I know the majority of the food is going to be hors d'oeuvres or appetizers, before I go to dinner parties, I eat mixed nuts. Like, I just snack just in case there's not enough food or I'm not full or like, I mean, I can get pretty carried away when I eat. I know that's probably like treading into the emotional territory aspects of things, sue me. But sometimes I don't like that people know how much I actually do eat and like to eat. And again, I think that's a belief I've formed that like I eat a lot and I'm aggressive because someone has said that to me before. But you know what? Maybe I should just learn to accept it and just go ham when I'm at the dinner party. But to be a respectful guest, I just eat mixed nuts before I go. So that's my confession corner for the day. <laughs> um, now getting into the episode. So this episode is called The Victim Mentality. And the primary focus of the episode is really, I'm super passionate about this. Oh my God, if I could really hone in anything and shout it from the mountaintops, it would be that we are not victims in anything. We're not a victim. We create everything we experience. We chose everything we experience from every sickness to every brain disorder to every parent or friend that we do or don't like. On some level or another, we have attracted or chosen this. We are not victims. And so I'm going to get into this from different angles. I'm going to get into it from the angle of the body, the brain, the mind, and the heart. Because my philosophy of healing in general, like as I hope to continue to 
say within Brainland, say within this podcast, and then eventually hopefully say within my own practice, is that in order to become conscious, in order to really optimize, in order to vibrate at the frequency, at the level of our energy, of our highest self's energy, we need to degunk the body, defog the brain, declutter the mind, and demud the heart. And I see it like this, because when we have a gunky body, and we have a foggy brain, and a cluttered mind, and a muddied heart, think about it as if we are tower, cell tower receivers, or radio receivers. We can't receive the guidance, the insight, the clarity with which we need to move forward gracefully, to move forward elegantly. When you have a body filled with toxins from your food or from your thoughts, which yes, your thoughts affect your toxins in your body. When you have a foggy brain because of what it is that you're eating or believing, when you have a cluttered mind because you haven't taken the time to introspect and organize, and when you have a muddied heart because you've gotten wounded so many times, victim alert, that you've closed off your heart to others, our cell tower receivers are off. We can't receive. We're like little being. Think about it as if you have a little antenna at the top of your head, receiving information, receiving guidance, receiving clarity. I really do believe that we receive help from universal forces, from not only the woo-woo forces, but just we receive insight from other people's energetic influences on us, from environmental influences on us, from the influences of the season, the given weather, the given pattern of the moon, a lot of different things. And furthermore, not even from the woo-woo angle, but like, again, I'm obsessed with both woo-woo and science angles, we can't receive alerts from our body if our hormone levels are off, if we have a virus or a bug, or if something is really wrong with our brain or our ankle, we're not going to be able to clearly receive signals and guidance to get that part of us healed if we have a gunky body, a foggy brain, a cluttered mind, and a muddied heart. Because, like any receiver, we need a clear signal. We need a clear signal to receive. So, why I'm so obsessed with this is because I'm going to talk about how we are made to believe that in all of these respects, our body, brain, mind, and heart, we're made to believe that we're somehow victims in our experience. And how, how having this victim mentality keeps us from um, experiencing ourselves optimally, experiencing our fullest potential, to be, keeps us from self-actualizing, keeps us from really stepping into our fullest power and taking control of our life. Um, and ascending, if that's what's in your goals in life. So, we perpetuate this idea a lot as a society, unfortunately, that we're somehow victims in our experience. We're victims in our... Um, Diseases, we're victims to other people, we're victims um, to things in the air, pathogens in the air, um, we're victims to a genetic profile, we're victims to allergies, you know, things like that. When in reality, I'm going to pose the idea that maybe we're not victims. I mean, I don't believe we're victims at all, but I'm going to pose this as a suggestive idea during this episode to, just to not, you know, totally put my beliefs in everyone else. I'm going to suggest that maybe we're not victims. Maybe we 
chose somehow to have a certain experience in this lifetime that was going to cause us cancer or cause us to have really horrible relationships so as to teach us something. Let's play with the idea. So let's start with the body. So we think sometimes that, for example, we're victims to anxiety. We're victims to anxiety in the sense that, oh, I just genetically have an overactive amygdala, an overactive alarm system in my brain that causes anxiety. Oh, poor me, poor me, I'm an anxious person because my parents had anxiety or because I experienced X, Y, or Z, I'm an anxious person. So keeping us in that victim mentality as if there's something outside that's afflicting me that I have no control over keeps us powerless. And so the more that we're powerless in anything in life, the less able we are to put our agency behind that thing and change it. Meaning to say, if we have no power, how can we make any choices? If we have no power, how can we influence anything in our lives to change? But how about, let me pose it like this. It's also, no, it's known, it's, it's scientifically researched and known and shown that the mammalian brain, so the older parts of the brain that we share with other mammals that rule our emotional system, that rule our fear system, these parts of the brain thrive on sugar. So they're fed by sugar. They love sugar. The more sugar, the more active those parts of the brain are, the limbic centers and the fear centers. So think about it like this. The more sugar you eat, the more anxious you could potentially be prone to be because you're feeding the parts of the brain that are responsible for producing anxiety. So now what happens if you're just eating sugar and then you get anxiety and then you just say, oh my God, I'm an anxious person. I've been plagued with anxiety. I'm so anxious. I'm such a victim. You're completely, you're completely not taking responsibility for the potential of why it is that you've created anxiety in your life. Whether that be from the, the most, you know, abstract thing, like you're creating anxiety because of a belief, which is a little hard to address, or just something on a more micro scale. You're creating anxiety because you're eating a lot of sugar in your diet. So things as simple as that, we're not always taught they could be directly correlated. We're not always not made totally public. And it's not made obvious that these are certain things that you could just simply change. So we're not always told that we don't have to be victims in these sorts of experiences in our lives. So another part of this puzzle is that the neocortex, so the newer part of the brain, so the brain that we don't share with other mammals, but that's reserved for human beings, homo sapiens, is fed on ketones. So it's fed on certain fat molecules. And now if we rather take responsibility for the fact that, huh, maybe something that I'm doing sugar being one of the many things that you could be doing. Maybe something that I'm doing is creating this anxiety and is perpetuating this anxiety. Maybe I should switch my diet to something more based on ketones or to something more based around fasting that promotes ketogenesis, more production of ketones within my body. And the more I produce that molecule, the more I'm feeding the newer part of the brain that's able to be more creative, more rational, more in control and less anxious. So, let me clarify what I said a little bit earlier when I said we're not taught this. I don't mean that we're not taught that sugar is, isn't bad. We all know and we've been taught finally in our society that sugar definitely isn't a thing that we want to be consuming frequently. But what we aren't necessarily taught is that anxiety is something that we are creating. 
that we're not necessarily taught that we should take responsibility for why it is that we're anxious. It definitely is a newer field. Mental health is a newer field. And to be quite honest, I didn't even know it was that new of a field. I was speaking to my therapist recently and kind of getting really excited and worked up at the same time about mental health in general and how much I care about it and how much I want to be involved in it. And she's saying to me essentially like, there's plenty of time, this, is, this field is an infancy, like chill out. And that struck to me, it, it really struck me because I thought to myself, huh, there's also no wonder that with the infancy of the mental health field and the lack of empowerment that we're all given when we suffer from something like mental health, there's, there's not a surprise that it isn't that transparent, that to you know get rid of anxiety, we can take responsibility for behaviors, sometimes as simple as cutting sugar out of our diets, sometimes as simple as you know changing a belief, et cetera, which, which I'll continue to hammer down the belief thing. But um, the reason that I think, one of the huge reasons is that we're not necessarily told that we aren't a victim, not necessarily told that we should and can take responsibility for our mental, psychological distressing states, um, is two reasons. One, like I just mentioned, because the field is definitely in infancy and it always hasn't been known and some people don't even believe that we can do things to change our, our psychological state, that we can do things to change anxiety or to change depression. Um, some people in the mental health realm definitely do still think that it's a chronic thing. I don't believe that personally. I believe anything in the brain is rewirable and changeable. We are given neuroplasticity, brain plasticity, the ability to change our brains as the key and the tool for liberating ourselves from whatever it is that we're somehow experiencing that's keeping us stuck, confined, broken, hurt. Now, on the other hand, another reason I think that we're not necessarily told that something as simple as cutting out sugar could, could help our experience with anxiety or depression or other things like that is because Big Pharma's wheels won't keep churning if it can't keep us medicated. So the more people that have anxiety, the more people that are constantly on Xanax, the more people that are on Zoloft for depression, the more, the more, the more. Big Pharma makes a lot of money, a lot of money off keeping people chronically on these sorts of drugs. Now, if we're somehow told that, hey, P.S., empower yourself, take responsibility for your mental health status and rewire your brain, you don't need drugs forever, this isn't a chronic ailment, this isn't a chronic disorder, this isn't a chronic unhappy experience, you don't have to be on these drugs, we would kick them all out of business. So I think that it's also unfortunately silenced more so because we do live in a society that very much perpetuates capitalism at the expense of the happiness of its individuals. I'm not trying to totally bag all over capitalism. As with anything, it's provided us with immense benefits and it's boomed our economy in many respects. But in the respect, but in the detriment of causing a lot of people to suffer emotionally and psychologically from the turmoil that they endure working so heavily and being so medicated, etc., etc. So, um, just something to play with that some people, I think, are not necessarily out for the best interest of the population in general. And if they were, we wouldn't be kept so much in the idea that we're victims somehow to these ailments. So something to play with. Now, on kind of a um, 
similar note, I mean, th this goes for other things in the body too, not just with anxiety or something, like any disease. I'm not going to touch on this too deeply today because it's a very deep and long topic that I still think I really need to sink my teeth into more before I can explain. But another belief in the spiritual community is that diseases, injuries, like, for example, cancer and or Alzheimer's and or a broken knee, a scraped arm, these are all things that we've actually ourselves manifested in our bodies that we actually ourselves have created. Now this can spook a lot of people out to think that I created my Alzheimer's or I created my, you know, cancer. I created a broken knee, but I just, I just encourage you to dip your toes in the idea. And this is kind of the reasoning behind it. Every thought that you have, every single thought that you have, a thought is an, an action potential in the brain, a thought is electricity in the brain. Every thought that you have, electricity moves in your brain and there are certain neuropeptides or molecules in the brain and proteins in the brain that are created as a product of the thoughts that you fire, the type of thoughts, the quality of thoughts, the, the yeah, the type of thought. And these type of molecules, that, that neuropeptides that come, that are created as a product of these thoughts, um, affect your body. So as you have really shitty thoughts, really negative thoughts, as you don't take responsibility for your thoughts, create good thought habits, thought patterns for yourself, create beliefs that make you feel good, therefore make you think good, therefore make you act good. You're creating these neuropeptides or these molecules that are affecting your body in really negative ways. And they affect your body in specific and different ways. Sometimes they affect your cell regeneration. Sometimes they affect your cell's ability to die or not die. Sometimes they affect your cartilage's ability to maintain itself. So I think that depending on, there's still so much research to be done, but it's a fun thing to entertain your mind with and, and to potentially heavily consider. But the thoughts are creating different molecules in your brain that are changing the homeostasis or changing the balance in your body. And as the balance in your body sways from its equilibrium point, sways from its baseline point, you get sick. So I think, I think, as, as some people do in the spiritual community, that every illness and every injury, I shouldn't say every, Many illnesses and many injuries and many diseases are a product of something that we have created. And again, the same problem comes up. What happens if everybody told, is told that this is the truth? Well, the first reaction is going to be a bunch of spook and a bunch of fear, which is totally understandable. Because, ah, my ego doesn't want to take responsibility for this horribly scary and intense and big thing. But then the second response is going to be one of empowerment potentially, one of excitement, one of motivation to change yourself and to really, for the first time, care a lot and pay attention to the way that you're thinking and the way that you're believing, to pay attention to the way that you're being emotionally triggered, to pay attention to how it is that you're thinking and talking about other people. Because every single one of those interactions, of those moments and of those thoughts is affecting the chemistry of your brain and affecting the chemistry of your body. 
And when your your brain is in a sick chemistry, when your mind is in a sick place, your body's in a sick chemistry, your body's in a sick place. It's no, it's no surprise that when you're stressed, you shut down your immune system, you get more sick. It's the perfect example. Your neurology is connected to your immune system. They're finding this an insane amount. You've probably heard a lot about the gut-brain connection, the focus on the gut biome, the focus how the quality of molecules used in your brain is dependent on the quality of what's in your gut, the food that you eat. So it's so evident how every choice that you're making, what you're putting in your mouth and what you're thinking and what comes out of your mouth is affecting the quality of what's happening in your brain, the chemistry of your brain. And as the chemistry in your brain is of a lower quality, so is your body of a lower quality. If the food that you eat is of a lower quality, so is your body of a lower quality. So it's not just this spiritual thing of, oh, your thoughts affect your sickness, you created your cancer. No. You created your cancer because of, yes, a variety of the thoughts that you were thinking, the choices that you were making, the foods that you were eating, the toxins that you were creating both internally and putting in from externally. Of course they're going to make you sick. So I encourage you to take responsibility for the potential of whatever status of health that you're in. But of course society, again, I think I want to try and find a new way to say society because it's a little bit ambiguous, but let's just say Big Pharma in this specific case does not want us to take responsibility and feel empowered for our health state, for our um, physiological state. Because why? Because they're keeping us all on medicine. They're keeping us all on medicine for arthritis, for cancer, for et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, for health disease, for everything. Anytime you've had an illness, oh, you have to take this medicine for the rest of your life. Oh, you're, you have this illness, oh, you have to take this medicine for the rest of your life. Oh, you have high blood pressure, take this medicine the rest of your life, it's fine. They're keeping us in a victim mentality, and the more you're kept in a victim mentality, the less that you're able to actually have power, power to choose, power to create your life, power to put your agency behind something you care about and make it happen. The more you're a victim, the less power you have. When I'm a victim, essentially, I'm just handing someone over the power, my power, and saying, here, do with it what you want. Fine. Take these drugs and pay me a lot of money for it for the rest of your life. Keep you all sick. Keep us all rich. So, again, I'm very passionate about these things, and I'm not going to necessarily tone it down because I do think that it needs to be shouted from the mountaintops by as many people as possible. So if you're someone who this resonates with, I also really suggest that you continue to play with this idea, read about it, write about it, share it, um, share this episode with somebody if you think that they could benefit from it. Just to consider the possibility that um, you are the creator of whatever it is that you're experiencing health-wise, whether you like it or not. Even if it's really scary and really painful, don't blame yourself. That's a huge thing is you can't blame yourself because you didn't know. You're only to quote-unquote blame if you know and you chose not to do any better. So it's the intention behind what happened. So if I have cancer, but I didn't know that I was the one that was potentially responsible for that, dependent on what I was eating, how I was thinking, how I was thinking about others, how I was speaking to other people, how I was creating the chemistry in my brain, therefore the chemistry in my body, how I was organizing in my gut. If I didn't know that before I had cancer, you're not to blame. You're only responsible when you have awareness. You're not going to blame a little kid for, you know, 
stealing something if they didn't know that stealing was bad. But the moment that the kid knows that stealing is bad and integrates that belief and integrates that value into their repertoire of values, the kid is responsible for the behavior that they did. So again, don't freak out if all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, this makes so much sense, but I'm sick and ah, there's no problem. There's no problem. Now you're aware and now is the potential for change. So I'm gonna just briefly talk about how this affects, um, I've kind of talked about body, brain, and mind, but how this could affect our heart. So just a simple, quick example. When somebody hurts you and you have a broken heart and you hurt your heart, normally we close off our hearts, we put barriers in our hearts, we're vulnerable, so now we kind of um, retreat more into our caves and don't feel like giving that back to somebody else. That's another victim mentality. That's another mentality that's keeping us powerless and keeping us from having what it is that we want really which is love so i you know challenge you to think about a heartbreak as you know a powerful experience one in which you almost sort of chose in one way or another for the development of your love strength of your love muscle so if you get hurt multiple times and you have every reason to close your heart but you don't not like you just go love like a wild, wild person or something, but it's teaching you so much empathy. It's teaching you so many powerful lessons about how to forgive, about how to um, understand that sometimes people who are in pain hurt other people. Only people who are in pain hurt other people. So if somebody has hurt you, um, they themselves are probably hurting. So a heartbreak gives you so many lessons about, you know, having compassion for what somebody else could be going through, for why they could have hurt you, for why they could have done what you did, what they did to you. And furthermore, a heartbreak really pulls you in to this, to this zone, to this internal analysis of what it is that I could have done better, what it is that I kind of um, perpetuated with this relationship, you know, so like that sort of a state in a heartbreak when you're so introspective and kind of saddened down, it is actually a really exciting and beneficial place to sit and look in. So it's actually, in one way or another, it's a gift. It's a gift in forgiveness. It's a gift in empathy. It's a gift in understanding other people's pain, other people's unconsciousness, other people's choices. And it's a gift of introspection, of knowing yourself better, of realizing what it is that you want, how it is that you want to be treated another beautiful experience of contrast like we talked about in an earlier episode. When I know what it is that I don't want, I know what it is that I do want. So um, a heartbreak can be an awesome thing, but what keeps us from the heartbreak not being an awesome thing sometimes, I know obviously you have to take your time to grieve, but eventually I'm saying um, it could be an awesome thing, is this whole idea of of victim mentality. So instead of using the heartbreak in a conducive manner, we just look at the other person and spite them and hate them and can't talk about them and constantly just, you know, shun them or whatever. Um, we're giving them power. We're giving them all of our power. We're, we're staying in a victim mentality and really holding ourselves back from using that experience in a conducive fashion. So hopefully this kind of gave you just like a general broad overview of how the victim mentality can continue to hinder us from being who we want to be and taking real responsibility for our lives and really empowering you hopefully to to rewire to want to rewire your brain to want to understand what it is that you're thinking or telling yourself or believing choice 
what choices are that you're making that could potentially be stopping you and think, huh, this whole time I've just been sabotaging myself and I didn't even know. And also encouraging you to think that potentially the way that sometimes things are structured in society aren't necessarily um, for the benefit of the people, but potentially in the detriment of the people. And there are obviously many things in society and many people nowadays pushing for things to rather be at the benefit of us humans that are actually living within the society. But nevertheless, there are still some old paradigms that are in place that are um, puppeteering us into keeping us victims. And, and victims don't get anything done <laughs> besides wallow. So, yeah, I, I really am interested in people think about this victim mentality because I think that this affects everything in our lives. And I'm really passionate about it. So... Let me know what you think. This is episode six of the Heart Anxiety Podcast. Please enjoy it. Share it with your friends. Um, it'll be, it's, it's on SoundCloud. Hopefully you're hearing it on SoundCloud or iTunes. Also, this full video is on YouTube. Um, I don't think I ever said my name, but I am Lydia Sofia Obregon. And this is the Heart Anxiety Podcast, episode six. Thanks for tuning in, you guys. Have an awesome, awesome rest of your week.